Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. Hey, welcome to those of you that are joining us in Auditorium 2. Maybe you're watching online by way of television or the podcast. So glad that you are here today, and welcome to those of you right here in the room. If we had the time, it'd be fun to kind of go around and get to know each other, and we could each share one unknown secret about ourselves. Aren't those things fun? Anybody feeling touchy-feely today? I'll go first. How's that sound? Hi, I'm Chad. Yeah, it's whatever. And... uh, I'm a muter. That feels good to get out there. I'm a muter from way back. I don't know when it started, but when I sit and watch TV, I have to have the remote control in my hand. Can't be more than 12 12 inches away. And then whenever a commercial comes on, I mute it. Any other muters in the room? It feels good, doesn't it? Get it out there, I'm a muter. I don't want the noise. I don't want the distraction. So you're, you're live sports, streaming something, whatever it is, it's like just, I just, just stop it and mute it, right? Because those things, come on. I'm the same way, any podcast listeners in the room, podcasters? Yeah, and that little button that moves ahead 30 seconds, anybody thank God for that? I don't wanna hear your advertisements. It's not, what, it's not what I'm there for. So if I can move past those things, because they don't pertain to me, right? Usually an ad comes on and I'm like, I don't need that soap or I, you know, whatever. And you just, if I can just get past that, I don't, I don't like the noise. I just want to get quiet. You're going to have a conversation in between, you know, the commercials, you know, that kind of thing. I just, so I'm a, I'm a muter and I just stop. But every so often you'll, you'll hear something or you'll see something and you go, Oh, what's that? What's that new product? Or, Oh, what's that new? Or, Oh, hey, that movie's coming out, you know, and then I'll listen because the difference is most of the time those things start and I'm just like, ah, that's not for me. But every so often I'm like, Oh, that one's That one's for me, and so I tune in. We have a tendency, if we're not careful, to sometimes kind of do the same thing with sermons on Sundays. Some of you muted at home, and I know it. I know what you did, right? And whether you don't have a mute button here in the room, but we can have a tendency to sometimes turn turn the message down a little bit if we happen to hear it and go, oh, well, that's a really good sermon for someone, <laughs> but not for me. Like, I don't really need that. And so we have a tendency to kind of turn it down a little bit. We, we, we kind of mute it a little bit because we think it's not for us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a really bold claim today that I honestly believe that no matter who you are, don't, don't turn this one down, don't mute this one because I don't care who you are or where you're at in life, this one today applies to you. We're in a series of messages that's called Follow Me, and uh, we're kind of working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We spent the last couple of weeks looking at Matthew chapter three, and we talked about John the Baptist, we looked at Jesus' baptism, and we, we talked last week, at the very end of, you're with us last week, the very end of the message last week, we looked at how after Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, do you remember this? And there was a voice from heaven, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, and then the, the, the Holy Spirit came down and, 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 and lighted upon him, scripture says, in the form of a dove, and empowered Jesus to be our baptizer. So he not only baptizes 
us with the Holy Spirit, but it was also through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did what he did when he walked on the earth. And there's this incredible thing that happens. Jesus has this incredible spiritual high. And then the very next thing is this, Matthew chapter four, verse one, then right away, next thing, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here's the reason why I'm pretty sure that none of us can afford to mute today's message. Today, we're gonna talk about temptation, and all of us have been there, and I'm gonna guess that none of us have fully mastered not giving in to temptation, and it applies to every single one of us. So we're gonna look at a formative episode in Jesus' life when Jesus was in the wilderness tempted by the devil. We're not gonna kind of roll through the whole passage. Instead, we're gonna look at it in, in pieces and parts as we go through this formative episode in the life of Jesus. And along the way, what I wanna show you is five facts about temptation. So today we're gonna look at five facts about temptation and kind of look at them from this story. Uh, so let's jump right in. We'll get to the first one. Five facts about temptation. Here's the first one. Number one, there is a tempter. Fact number one, there is a tempter. Matthew chapter four, verse one, when we come to that passage of scripture, it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Later in this passage, the devil is referred to as Satan. Later in this passage, the devil will be referred to as the tempter. And it's good for us to know that when temptation comes our way, it's not coming out of nowhere. There is a source, and you and I have a tempter. Do you know that? Now look, I don't know that you're gonna be tempted directly by the devil himself, but he has a system in place. He, he has an army that he uses that's highly trained and very experienced that knows just how to carry out the temptations of the tempter in your life and mine. You ever encountered them? And here's what we read about the tempter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse five. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. He hadn't heard from them for a while. And he said, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. See, I was afraid that in some way, the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. He says, so there is a tempter and the tempter tries to tempt you. And as a result, what he tries to do is, is to mess you up. John 10, 10 says that he's a thief and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the means that he uses to do that is by trying to tempt you and I to sin in ways that will rob us of the blessings that God has for us in our lives. That scripture refers to him as our adversary. In fact, he's called Satan. He's our adversary, the accuser of those of us who follow Jesus. And his intentions aren't good. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that we should be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who is this enemy? Well, we don't have time to do a, a full theology today of demons and demonology and evil and Satan and history and all those different things, but suffice it to say that the devil, Satan, is a created being. He, he's not equal with God. He's a created being who rebelled against God. When he did, he took a third of the angels with him. They were cast out of heaven, and his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, especially those things that God loves, and he's crafty. Jesus said he's a deceiver. John chapter eight tells us this. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. 
when he lies, he speaks his native language. Wow. That's, that's, that's cold. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So his whole goal is to deceive you. But it's good to fast forward to the end of this story because at the end of this story, the deceiver, the, the Satan, the, the tempter gets his. Anybody glad for that? Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I'm glad to know the end of the story. Why does this matter? You ever, any, any of you that maybe work with email quite a bit, you ever gotten a scam email where you read it and you find out that some very generous person has a great inheritance and no one to give it to and they've chosen your Gmail address at random to receive millions of dollars and the scams go on and on and on, right? And you read them and I'm not gonna lie, when you read them, one of your initial responses is, wouldn't that be nice? Like, I'd take millions of dollars. Now, I know better, right? I know that this is a scam. And yet, there's something about it. I could win a trip. I, I, could, I could have that. They're gonna give me lots of money, no strings attached, and it's very easy. All they need is my name, date of birth, social security number, and bank account. I can give them that, right? How simple is that? And the reality is, there's this part of us that wants to give in, not because they haven't asked you to do anything you don't want to do. They want to give you something you want. Like they know how to tempt you with this. And the reality is, when you get those emails, you should delete them in the name of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Too many times, though, we're like, well, what if? Well, what if this one is the real one? And here's what you need to realize that this email did not come to you out of nowhere. On the other side of that screen is someone who does not care about you. They don't care in any way whatsoever about your well-being, of what you want in life, of what you hope to be blessed with. You know what they want? What you have, and they could care less how they get it. They are your enemy, and the reason you ignore and delete that thing is because on the other side of it is someone who wants to do you harm. True? If I look at that scam email that way, it gives a whole different perspective. It's not a, what if they really have something for me? The reality is, what if they get a hold of me and destroy me? That's why you delete it. That's why it's important to know there's a tempter. Because every time you're tempted with something that in some way seems appealing, remember that on the other side of it is someone who only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Does that make sense? So know this, when temptation comes knocking on your door, number one, there is a tempter. Let's jump and look at the second fact about temptation. Number two, we are all tempted. We're all tempted, every single one of us, which is why I hope you won't hit the mute button today. Even Jesus, look at this, Matthew chapter four, verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. He had the same physical desires that we have. He had the same appetites. He wrestled with the same challenges. And this is good for us to know that in the same way we are tempted, Jesus was tempted. So he knows what it's like. Temptation is not anything that's, that's just unique to you. In fact, look at this, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, this is talking about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but 
We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Why is that important? Because I don't want a savior who doesn't know what it's like to be me. But Jesus came in human flesh, that's the incarnation we read about in Matthew chapter uh, two, chapter one, chapter two. Jesus came in human flesh and knew what it was like to be like us, and as a result, he was able to be our savior. He was able to offer us salvation because he knew what temptation was like. Where does this temptation come from? Well, James talks about this. James chapter one, verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now see, this is interesting here because sometimes we're prone to go, well, God tempted me to do this, or God set it up for me to fail in this way, or God this, we blame God in those moments. Here's the reality. God does not tempt us. Look, if you're experiencing temptation in some way, it is not coming from God. He is not the source of that temptation. Where do they come from? Well, we already said there is a tempter. He's got a whole system set up that, that he can hopefully pull you into some kind of temptation. And you know what he knows? He knows what your desires are. He knows what your appetites are. And so he entices you with those things. And so when your tempter meets up with your desires that are not from God, then that's where temptation steps in. Anyone ever been there? Okay, next we're gonna talk about lying. But don't miss this. There's an, interesting, there's an interesting point to this, right? So God does not tempt us. Where does temptation come from? Well, you have a tempter. He, he uses your evil desires against you. But just before James says that in verse 13, he says this in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, so these words, trial, test, are actually the same root Greek word as temptation. So the same word is being used in this passage for temptation, for trial, for testing, for trouble. Like these words all have this same idea. He says, so blessed is the one who, perverse, who perseveres under trial, temptation, testing, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So recognize this, these words have, have similar same meaning, so temptation and testing may be the same thing. Right, when you come to a moment of temptation, when these natural times happen in your life where you come head to head with how a tempter wants to use your desires against you, catch this, you have a choice to make at that crossroads. You can either give in to temptation and fail, or you can choose to do the right thing and pass the test. There's a moment that you have to recognize, when I come to this spot, it's not just that I'm doomed to fail, I actually have the opportunity to move forward in my faith at the same time. Does that make sense? So let me give you a practical example of this from scripture, and I'm gonna use something really tangible because I think this will help us. When we think about our finances, especially if you've been around the church for any season of time, one of the things that we believe the scripture teaches is that God gives us everything that we have, amen? Everything comes from him. So what we believe is that when God blesses us with resource, when he blesses us with finances, the first tenth of what he gives to us, we give back to him. 
So scripture refers to that as the tithe. So that when I, when I get a paycheck, the first tenth of that, I give back to God. We believe the, the scripture teaches that we give back to the local church. And that's what we do in moments with our finances. Those are biblical principles of finances. But here's what happens. You get that paycheck and you look at that crossroads and there's this temptation to say, but boy, 10% a lot of money. Gas prices are crazy and food prices are going up. And I read some bad things about the economy. I don't know, that's, that's, that's a lot of money. And maybe, maybe I'll just, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I just won't honor God in that way right now because things are a little hairier. I mean, I'll, I'll catch up later and the temptation is to ignore what God's word teaches. The temptation is then to say, well, what's mine is mine and hold on to that instead of being willing to honor godly principles with our finances. Now, here's, here's the challenge there. When we give into that temptation, we miss out on God's blessings. But in a very tangible way, instead of giving into the temptation, we can choose to honor God with our finances and then we pass the test. And the reason I bring this up is because this is the spot where God literally says, test me in this and watch if I don't bless you as a result. So look, understand this. When you come to that crossroads and you have to decide what to do, the reality is I can either give into the temptation and lose out or I can choose to pass the test and know that I've opened up the opportunity for God to pour out his blessings into my life. Does that make sense? So when you come to that crossroads, think of it as more than just this, I'm gonna lose here. God's also given you an opportunity to win. Now here's, here's one of the things that's good for you to know and we're, we're gonna take a real just quick run through the temptations. There's three of them in, in the gospels that we read about. The temptations that the enemy brought to Jesus and here's what's good for you to know. For millennia, he's been using the same bag of tricks. Like he uses the same strategies over and over again. Now like you're gonna get tempted in a different way than Jesus was, but using a lot of the same tricks. Look at this, Matthew chapter four, verse three. What we read is the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now look, he's gonna tempt Jesus differently because he's probably not gonna ask you if you are the son of God. If you think you're the son of God, you need a whole different sermon. You actually need more than a sermon, I think, but that's, that's a whole other story. But he uses the same tricks over and over again because you see what he did here right away and you're gonna see this repeatedly in these three temptations. He goes, now, if you are the son of God, and you see what he did right away? He challenged Jesus' identity. Temptation distorts our identity. That, that's one of the tricks that the enemy's gonna keep in his bag of tricks. So I've got this mirror here that's used to see yourself. And the truth is this particular mirror is one of those that's designed so you can see what's wrong with your pores. Do you know what I mean? It's one of these magnifier guys, but you hold it back like this and you're just a mess. You're distorted, you're upside down, things aren't right. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do to you. He wants to cause you to challenge your identity and to look at yourself and go, so much that's wrong with me. And there's so many things that aren't right. And we begin to think about how maybe God can't love us or how we have no purpose or value or we can't live up to the expectations of others. Or I, the list could go on and on, right? Because he immediately challenges if you are and he wants you to see those things and he wants to change your perspective and cause you to miss out on the fact that you are a daughter and a son of God. Is that not true? 
and you are his masterpiece, scripture says. You ever heard that? And he says he created you with great purpose. Before you were even born, he knew in advance the things that he designed for you to do. But if the enemy can get you to go, I'm just a mess. He not only distorts your identity, but he uses temptation because temptation then separates us from our father. Because what we're supposed to see is the likeness of Jesus in us. To see that we are the children of God. But if he can distort our identity, and he's gonna do this over and over again to Jesus in this passage of scripture, what he's gonna try and do is separate him from God. And did, did I tell you that he's been using the same bag of tricks for thousands of years? Like, look at this, Genesis chapter three, verse one. This is the very beginning, this is creation. Now the serpent was more crafty, that's the enemy, than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, I mean, right out of the gate, He's separating Adam and Eve from their heavenly father so that he can separate them from God and as a result, find a way for them to not think right about themselves. He's been using the same trick for millennia and he's got so many things in his bag of tricks. The other thing that's interesting in this passage in, in Matthew chapter four, when he says to Jesus, hey, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn that stone into bread? He's saying that to him because temptation plays to our weaknesses. If you don't think it's true, it's good for you to know the devil knows what your appetites are. He knows where you're vulnerable. He's gonna play to your weaknesses. Here's a, here's a jar of pickles. Anybody like pickles? Yeah, some of you, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take those. I'm gonna tell you this. I'm not tempted by those nasty things in any way. I mean, they're good. I'll eat them from time to time. But if I'm just, just kind of like, oh, I need a little snack, that is the last thing I'm gonna think of. <laughs> but the enemy knows, <laughs> the enemy knows, yeah, who's with me? Yeah, and he knows if he can entice me with some devilish Oreos, that plays to my weakness. Because for some of you, some of you that have, like, and I get it, there's some people you don't have a sweet tooth. Like something that's a little bit more, I don't know, nasty, appeals to you, right? And that's fine, if that's how God made you and your taste buds aren't mature yet, I get it. I get it, I get it. But you just see, and I just kinda open that can. It's not new, so I had to fake that sound, right? So, but here's like, oh, yeah. I'd love some of those, not me, but ladies and gentlemen, this sound right here. Right? <laughs> Even to the point that we can, we, we can tend to go, they're beautiful. <laughs> and we have a tendency to try to, try to get, Yes, and I'm not gonna eat it. I just wanna, you know, just kinda. We get as close as we can sometimes. And the enemy knows, I gotta remember which one that was. I'll just take it later. So the enemy knows the, the places where we're gonna be prone to give in to temptation, does he not? And so he plays to our weaknesses 
So he, he's not gonna try to use something that I don't find appetizing or appealing to get me to stumble. And he knows just the way to use the things that you're gonna be prone to give into. And that's so key for us to know and to watch. Here's what John says about that. First John chapter two, verse 16. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And he will use those things to try to trip you up. Think about it, even within the 10 commandments. Right? How many of those commandments fall right in this line that in those moments, and, and you know, I had somebody say to me after the last service, it's good for us to know when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, when we're tired, when we're vulnerable in those places because that's where commandments like murder, adultery, stealing, coveting play off this principle that if I can find you in the moment of your weakness, you'll be more prone to do the thing you don't wanna do. True? Like the enemy knows that. Watch this, Matthew chapter four, Verse five, this is the second temptation. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, there it is again, identity separating him from the father. He said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And look, what he's trying to do there is he's twisting scripture, is he not? Like he's saying, well, Jesus is into the Bible, Maybe I can get him to think a wrong way about it. And if Jesus had jumped off the pinnacle of the temple, he would have the opportunity to make a spectacle of himself that would cause attention. And there was even prophecy to say that something like that would happen when the Messiah would come. So what the devil's saying is, hey man, take, take things in your own hands. Like God's not speeding this along fast enough. The devil also would have loved if he'd committed suicide, true? Like there's, there's this devilish purpose that's all wrapped up in here. And here's something else the devil will use. You might not expect this, but sometimes what the devil will use is God's word itself against you. Like he'll find ways to warp scripture or to cause you to think thoughts about God that aren't true. And sometimes he'll find ways to back it up using God's words against God. The other thing he'll do is he'll let religion or he'll let people you've known who have acted in a hypocritical way or he'll let hurt you've known somewhere within a, within a church world be something that tempts you and separates you from God himself. He's not dumb, is he? And temptation challenges us to distrust God. If we're not careful, the enemy will work in that way. Uh, real quick, let me, let me show you the, the last temptation here, Matthew chapter four, verse eight. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Ultimately, it's, it's a matter of pride, isn't it? The temptation focuses on self. And if the devil, money's just a good example of this, but if the devil can get you to go, hey, check, the, check this out. I just wanted you to know it was real. You can't do that with fake money, so this is real. He says, look, check this out. Whatever it is that kind of plays to your desires for self, he says, this is, this is easy. I'm just gonna slide this your way. All it takes is for you to just kind of, kind of worship me in some way. And Jesus knew whatever you worship, you end up serving. And he knew he needed to push that thing aside. And the enemy has been using these same tricks for millennia. And he uses them over and over again. You know why he uses them? because they work. And if we're not careful, we'll miss what he's doing in our lives. And the temptation's such a dangerous thing. Off the, the coast of Cape Cod, about 30 miles off 
is some, some prime area for fishing for tuna. And there was a season of time where, man, it was just ripe with fish for the catching. And word would come out and say, look, if you can just get out there and you got a hook and you got some bait, you were gonna catch some tuna. And there, there were these stories that were floating around that there were these Japanese businessmen who would wait in the harbor that would you come back in. If you had a big enough fish, they would pay up to $50,000 for the right kind of tuna that they would then throw on an airplane, get it to Tokyo, sell it at an auction, and be used for just uh, like prime sushi, right? This was, this was the story. And so you would not just have trained fishermen, but you would have just guys with boats who would say, well, I can do that. I can go out and make a couple grand in a night. I'm, I'm gonna go do this. And so they would go out on the water not realizing that catching the tuna wasn't the hard part. The hard part was what you did with it once it caught you. And there was one night in particular where there were three different boats that were either capsized or one that was a 23-foot-long boat that caught a 600-pound tuna. All three of those guys run to the side of the boat because they're trying to reel it in. Now you've got all the weight on one side of the boat. You've got a 600-pound fish that's dragging that thing down. Now that boat's in the bottom of the ocean because the problem wasn't catching the thing. It was, what do you do once it's caught you? The problem isn't, is temptation going to come your way? The trick is, what happens once it does and it gets its hooks in you? Which leads us to the third fact that I want you to see about temptation today. One, there's a tempter. Number two, we are all tempted. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Number three, every temptation is a transaction. Like every temptation that comes your way is a transaction of some kind. Because when the enemy plays to your internal desires and offers you something, it's not for free. It's gonna cost you something. And if you don't recognize that there's a transaction at play there, you will put yourself in a very vulnerable place where you're gonna miss out. Anybody ever play Monopoly? Do you know that game Monopoly? When our kids were little and all at home, we would every so often set up and play a game of Monopoly. In fact, we had a tradition for quite a few years that whenever we would go on vacation, one of the things that we would do, like in, in our downtime in the evenings and stuff, is we would play Monopoly together. That way it would guarantee that by the end of vacation, we didn't like each other anymore, right? <laughs> right? It's just kind of the way... Kind of the way it works, right? And it's inevitable. If you've ever played the game, you know, you work your way around the board, and at some point, you gotta decide, what, what am I gonna try to make my monopoly, right? Where am I gonna try to build my empire? And if you say, hey, I wanna get all four railroads, at some point, somebody else has one of the railroads. So you gotta figure out, how am I gonna get that from them? What am I gonna offer them? And one of the things we had to help our children understand is that when we play this game, your siblings do not love you. You're just a means to an end to them. And they would like, hey, hey, I want that railroad from you. And, and can I just tell you, Baltic Avenue is not a good trade for boardwalk, right? Like, and these are the kind of things where Ron and I would sit there and we'd watch this happen and we would watch the, the enemy just overtake one of our kids and in a very evil way, try to tempt their sibling to give them something that was just not a good deal. And at times we're just like, we're biting our tongues or we're making faces or we're doing this, you know, and eventually you just kind of got to go, I don't know if I do that, you know, and then, then, you know, the one trying to make the trade, that's table talk, stop it, you know? And at some point you just got to teach your kids, hey, that's not a good deal. You're getting ripped off here. And isn't the same thing true about temptation? Because the tempter comes and offers you something, it wouldn't be temptation if you didn't want it. 
if there wasn't something appealing about it, and we often think we're just, we're just giving into that temptation in a vacuum, but every time you do, it costs you something. Sometimes the costs are immediate, and they're, they're short-term costs that you note right away. Other times, they're long-term, and it's something you don't notice until later. The reality is, sin will always take you farther than you wanna go and cost you more than you wanna pay. And we need to be aware that these transactions, whether it's short-term or long-term costs, happen every time temptation shows up. Like, it feels good in the moment to go off on someone, doesn't it? To tell them what you think, to send them that email or post online, and then later comes the regret, or maybe even the loss of the relationship. We can be prone to waste time or procrastinate. I don't mean that you rest or that you enjoy something. What I mean is that you know that you're not a good steward of your time, and then you lose peace. When you lie, you have to keep track of what you said. When you cheat and steal, you know that at the very least it costs you peace because you're waiting to see what consequences might come. Sexual immorality robs us of purity and it comes with emotional and relational costs that are always higher than we thought they would be. And ultimately, when we give in to temptation, it costs us peace with God. Like what we've done is we've, remember you look in that mirror, you're supposed to see that you are a, a son, you're a, you're a daughter of the King of Kings, of God the Father. And instead what we've done is we've traded that identity for something that we thought we wanted in the immediacy of the moment and temptation encourages you to trade who you really are for a cheap substitute and to leave behind the blessings that God has and the things that he would want to give to you and instead give in to what the enemy wants to offer you. Matthew 16, 26 says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So, so every time temptation comes knocking on your door, know that there's a transaction at play and that what is on the other side of this is not just a, a free sin either short-term or long-term, that transaction's gonna cost you something. Which takes us then to the, the fourth truth that's, that's good for you to know. Number one, as, as we look at these, is that there is a tempter. Number two, we're all tempted. Number three, every temptation is a transaction. Here's the fourth one. Number four, we tackle temptation with truth. When temptation comes your way, because the deal is you're gonna be tempted, right? And so if you're going to be tempted, how do we handle this? What, what do we do as a result? Years ago, there was a, a comedian named Jack Handy. He was known for telling these goofy stories. He told the story about how when he was a kid in school, a bully would come and say every day, give me your lunch money or I'll beat you up. And the bully was bigger and Jack Handy was smaller, so he would give me his lunch money every day. Finally, one day, he just said, enough is enough. I'm gonna fight this guy. So he knew he had to learn to fight. So he went and started taking martial arts lessons. And he was taking the martial arts lessons, and this was years ago, right? And he, he found out that the, the, the lessons he was taking were costing him five, five bucks every time. And the five bucks was more than the bully was taking from him. So it cost him more to learn how to fight than it was to just give in to the bully. And so he quit karate. Which is exactly how many of us handle temptation. 
Because temptation comes our way, and there's a moment where we go, well, I'm just going to fight. And then we just say, I don't know if I have the fight in me. And we just give in because we're afraid that the fight's going to cost us more than what just giving into the temptation will. That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus say in John chapter 8, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we use truth to go against temptation when it comes our way. Uh, the truth is, is kind of this, this, this kind of big term, isn't it? So let's break it down into some different categories. The first is what I'm just gonna call a transactional truth, right? Because we've already talked about the fact that we can have a tendency to give in to temptation because we forget that there's a transaction that's happening, that when you give in to that temptation, it costs you something. But if you remember that transactional truth, that that temptation's gonna cost you something, then as a result, when the temptation comes, you will be more prone to say no to it because you've already realized the cost. This is the problem so many times that if we don't really think it through when, when we get offered with a sales presentation, right? Whether it be for a new car or a timeshare, like we get certain information and we're quick to buy in because we didn't play out what the transaction is really gonna cost us, right? But if we think it through and we've got the information, then we know what's a good deal, what's not a good deal. So if you know the places where you're prone to be tempted, if you know the times when you're vulnerable, if you know how the enemy's gonna bring that temptation transaction to you, are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like in those moments, if you've already pre-decided, we talked about that a few weeks ago, if you decide in advance, I know how and when that temptation may come my way, I know when I'm vulnerable, I know when I'm susceptible, and that's a bad deal. I need to decide in advance that the truth is that's a bad transaction. First John chapter two, verse 17 says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So if I give in to the desires of the world, they're gonna pass away, that's not a good investment, true? So I need to just look, and I know this is common sense, but if I can decide it in advance, it'll help me that when that temptation comes that I'm pretty sure is gonna come my way because I know me, you know you, if I can decide in advance, then it's helpful for me to go, that's just a, that's just a bad deal. Here's, here's the funny part when, when you've, you've done what I do long enough and you, you preach a sermon like this, there's moments when I can start to see in, in some of your eyes even you up there. Oh yeah, I'm thinking about my temptation. Like, like you, you, know, you know the exact transaction that might come your way. Here's the thing that comes with, with being the pastor. I know all your temptations as well. No, I don't, that's just a joke. But you do, and so even right now you can begin to go, oh, I, I know when I'm prone for that. I know when that's prone to come my way. And I know it's a bad deal. So I need to decide in advance how I'm gonna handle that temptation. How do you do that? Well, let's take to the next layer of truth. And it's what Jesus used. It's what we're gonna call a scriptural truth. That we use God's word against the tempter, against temptation when it comes our way. This is exactly what Jesus did. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the context and the history and why it's all coming out of these chapters in Deuteronomy that Jesus uses. Like, it's, it's fascinating, the scriptures he uses, how he uses them, but just get this, the best weapon you have against temptation is the word of God, true? 
Why is that, Chad? And this is especially true when we face temptations in the area of worry or anxiety, when there's bitterness, when we wanna hold a grudge, when there's a lack of forgiveness, when we're facing fear or despair. The best thing we can do is find a scripture to push back against that temptation. Why? Matthew chapter four, verse four, when the devil said, Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn that stone into bread, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying scripture reminds me that my hope is in the Lord. Like God's the one who's gonna provide. God's the one who's gonna be there for me. So I need to find a scripture that helps me to take my focus off that temptation and put it onto the one where my hope really is. Jesus does the the same thing in Matthew chapter four, verse seven, when the enemy says, up on the top of the temple, hey, throw yourself down and and God will protect you. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put uh, the Lord your God to the test. He's saying, look, scripture affirms that I will trust in him. You want me to trust in myself. You want me to take matters into my own hands. And instead, what I'm gonna do, and he says this scripture to prove the point, scripture affirms that instead of trusting in myself or trusting in this temptation, I'm gonna put my trust in God. I'm gonna put my hope in him. This is really true when we think of the words that come out of our mouths, right? Because so many times, many of us are tempted that in a difficult moment, when things don't go the way we want, to say something out of our mouths that we know is not pleasing to God. Call it cussing, call it cursing, call it swearing. Paul, Paul calls it you know, immoral speech, whatever you wanna call it. There's a temptation for us in that moment to speak something that's not a blessing but is actually a curse. And we wanna speak like the world when we've actually been called to speak like Christians. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody struggled with that temptation? Yep, there's more sinners in the third service. That's what I expected, yeah, yeah. Right? And in that moment, we speak that because it might feel good in the moment but it does not affirm who God really is. The other, the other thing we do with our mouths sometimes, it's amazing how quickly the temptation comes to lie. Like, I, I, don't, I don't wanna speak the truth because of the consequences of the truth, so it's easier for me to kind of make the story sound better than it is, or to take the pressure off myself, or to say something that just isn't true. And you know, every time you're tempted to speak that lie, what you're saying is, God, I don't believe that you can handle this, so I've gotta handle this, so I can't speak the truth. I've gotta speak what I want, because in this situation, I can't trust in you. Does that make sense? But when I speak scripture, it puts my trust in him. One last one, Matthew chapter four, verse 10. This is when the devil said, if you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this is, this is key for us to see this here because scripture promises, and Jesus knows this, scripture promises that God's ways are better. Do you know what the devil's trying to do here? The, the devil wants Jesus to worship him and he's offering him the kingdoms of the world which are Jesus's anyways. But for Jesus to get there, he's gotta go through the cross, doesn't he? Isn't that what this whole story's about? So you know what the devil's offering him? A shortcut. He says, look, do it my way and it'll be easier. Do it my way and I'll take care of it. You know what's gonna cost you? One little worship, that's it. Just give me a little bit of allegiance. You can have it the easy way. 
And what Jesus says through that scripture is that scripture promises that God has better things for me. So sometimes I choose not to take the shortcut. Sometimes I choose not to do it the world's way. Sometimes I choose to ignore temptation because when I do that, that choice puts me in a place where God has better things for me. So there's a transactional truth, there's a scriptural truth, and ultimately there's God's truth. And God's truth is this, that when I do things God's way instead of the way of temptation, God brings blessing into my lives. Have you found that to be true? Look at this, uh, last verse in this passage, Matthew 4, 11. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. He resisted the devil and the devil fleed from him. And when the devil left him, angels showed up and angels came and attended him. Where we see that language in the Old Testament, whenever the angels show up in that way, they come with catering, bless God. <laughs> right? And so Jesus bypassed the stone wheat bread. <laughs> and instead had a smorgasbord from heaven because God's ways are always better. Remember that when temptation comes your way. Remember that when that transaction is right there. That it's easy to choose what's right there in front of you, but consider the cost because God's ways are always better. So what do we do? James tells us this. He says, in those moments you submit yourselves then to God, you resist the devil and he will flee from you which Chad is easier said than done. And I know it, because believe it or not, we've all given in to temptation as well, right? Which is why we can't mute this sermon. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When the reality is, you might be tempted before you even get out of this building today, before you shut down this service that you're watching or listening to somewhere. There's a good chance temptation's gonna knock on your door in one way or another. And sometimes we just go, I just can't do it on my own. Which is why the last truth I want you to see is so powerful. Truth number five, fact number five about temptation, the spirit helps us. Then in those moments when we come face to face with temptation, God has said the spirit helps us. Remember this, that Jesus comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and then from there, after his baptism, he goes straight into the desert, straight into the wilderness to be tempted. But he's not by himself, the Spirit is with him. And the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to live the life he lived, is the same Spirit that can empower you and me, true? So in those moments, you're not facing temptation by yourself. I think we have this picture we have this picture, I just, I just want, no, here, this is even better. We have this picture, I forgot I had one in my pocket. We have this picture that the enemy drops that temptation, even beautiful with lint, that he drops that temptation right there in front of us, and we have this tendency to think that in that moment, we're on one side of the table, temptation and the enemy's on the other side of the table, and it's just the two of us staring each other down and we forget that the Holy Spirit is right there beside us and he's right there with us and you don't have to face this temptation alone, that the enemy is right there with you and those are the moments when if we're healthy, if we're wise, we're gonna look at that transaction and just say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you help me to have the strength, the, the courage, the fortitude to deny that temptation, to resist the devil and to know that you'll help me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, and, and you will be, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It's not just you staring down the enemy in that transaction. The Holy Spirit is right there with you. And his whole goal is so that you can say no to the temptation and pass the test so that then his blessing can come into your life. And God's ways are better. So for some of us, as I talk about temptation, there's this tendency to not think about temptation future, but to think about temptation past and to beat yourselves up for the times that you gave in and the cost of that transaction. And in this moment, it's good for you to know that that's no surprise to God. But he loved you so much that he gave his son and Jesus died to pay the price for those bad transactions that led to sin, true? And that if you're here today and you need forgiveness, he not only can bring it, he literally died to. And the best thing you can know today is that Jesus can forgive you and he can bring you life. And some of us, before, before this service is done, we're gonna pray and in a moment, from your heart, you simply just need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. You know the mess that it's been. And you know where I find myself. And I realize that I can't do this on my own anymore. And Jesus, what I need is you. And for all of us, I hope we'll walk out of here with just a greater awareness. Like there's a reason why these stories are in Matthew about Jesus' life. And on one hand, these stories are there so that we will know just the greatness of our Savior. And on the other hand, these stories are there so we will know how to handle temptation when it comes our way. And I hope that as we go through this week, we won't minimize how important it is that we tackle temptation with truth. Several years ago, Russell Moore wrote a book about temptation, and in it, he tells the story of a scientist whose name is Temple Grandin. Temple works in the food service industry. He's a scientist, he's experimenting with things. And one of the things that they found, this is kind of interesting, is that if you wanna have high quality beef, one of the most important things about being able to offer high quality beef is what the cattle go through in the moments of their passing. Because if they experience stress and trauma as they're dying, it releases hormones that then cause the, the meat to be of a lower quality. My apologies to the vegans online today for this, for this story. So what Temple Grandin has done is he's, he's designed a process by which they can kind of preserve these things as the, the cattle come to the slaughterhouse. He's trained people, he says, look, you, you don't yell at the animals and you don't use a cattle prod and whatever you do, don't, don't hurt them. What we wanna do is we want to create a process that's as natural for them as possible. So as the cows move off of the, the trucks, it's very quiet, it's very comfortable for them, and they go through what's called a comfort chute, and it's this kind of 
tunnel that they go through that literally kind of forms around them as they go that then allows them to have the feeling of, of like being nuzzled by their mothers. And then as they walk, it's a very pleasant kind of path and instead of them having to make sharp turns, it just kind of curves as they go. So it reminds them and feels like when they're going home. And it's designed in such a way that as the cows are kind of moving along and they're feeling very comfortable and they're feeling very pleasant, at some point, without them even realizing it, there's a conveyor belt that comes around and picks them up so that their hooves aren't even on the ground anymore. And then as they're moving along, all of a sudden, bam! Did I get you? With surgical precision, there's an instrument that gets them kind of right in the head and deals a death blow. They, they never even knew they were heading towards it. They never even saw it coming. And isn't that what the enemy wants to do with temptation? He just wants to keep you moving in that direction, keep you enjoying the moment and blind to the cost of that transaction until he can get you to the point where he can steal, kill, and destroy the things that God wants to bless. Russell Moore in his book encourages us to be so aware that our enemy has these schemes. What scripture say? We're not unaware of his schemes. We know what he wants to do. So today we look at these facts so that we'll stand firm when temptation comes our way. So will you bow your heads, close your eyes with me for just a moment. And look first, maybe you're here today and what you need more than anything is forgiveness. You've even told yourself as you're watching or listening to this message that forgiveness is not for you, that God could never forgive you. And I'm here to tell you that your, your temptations, your sins are not news to God. And it was because of those things, the, the whole reason that God sent Jesus, his son, to die for your sins, to give his life on the cross, is to pay the price so you can have forgiveness. There's no better moment than right now to simply say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I give you my life. And to let him begin that healing work, that, that journey of restoration in your heart. He, he wants to take what's old and make it new. It just begins by simply confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And scripture says you will be saved. Even before we pray, right now in your heart, Jesus, I need you. And, and for, for I'd guess all of us, we know our appetites. We know the temptations. We know the vulnerabilities. And today's the day to say, God, by your truth, will you help me to stand firm? That we wouldn't be surprised or caught off guard when temptation comes our way. And that this week, we would see those transactions and stand firm and that we would choose to pass the test and receive God's blessing instead of giving in to those moments of temptation. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for the way that it speaks to us and God, the, the way that you know how to bring it home to right where we are. God, with those who need your forgiveness today, 
Lord, all of us need your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. We need you and we give you our lives. But for some, right in this moment, you are beginning a process of making all things new in their lives. Jesus, we need you. And Lord, would you help us that when temptation comes our way, your spirit would remind us of the bad deal we're being offered. And that instead, we would seek the Spirit's help, pass the test, and see the blessing that only you can bring. God, we can't do it on our own. And so as we go, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. If you would like for someone to pray with you, we've got some friends that'll be right down here at the front right after service. If you chose today to make Jesus your savior, you need a Bible that you can easily read and understand, feel free to stop by. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.